Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another podcast about the books we read. So again, uh, we're here in the studio. My name is Reagan Schrock, and Jaron Miller is here as well. And we're just going to dive into uh, a book that each of us have read recently. Um, the one Jaron has, I had a, actually was not familiar with it until I got here today. Um, so please do tell. It looks interesting. Yes, the name of the book is A Year of Biblical Womanhood by Rachel Held Evans. This book has been on my shelf for several years now. Um, it was written in 2012, so it's not a brand new book, but it was still on my shelf and I hadn't read it. But unfortunately and tragically, uh, Rachel Held Evans died about two months ago on May 4, and so when she died, I thought, really, I should be more familiar with what she has to say. She was a popular author in some circles, and so I thought it was high time for me to actually somewhat acquaint myself with um, what she wrote about. And so I read A Year of Biblical Womanhood. And basically the title is a summary of what the book is about. Rachel Held Evans um, decided that she would live biblically the word biblical is kind of a tricky term because so, so many things have been justified as biblical. I don't even know what biblical means, but it's interesting to see what biblical meant to her. So for a year, she practiced things that she thought a biblical woman would practice. And I'll just talk about a few of these practices. Um, on the front cover, there's a picture of her plopped on top of a roof. The reason she sat on a roof was because there's a verse in Proverbs. I can't quote it exactly. Uh, Regan, are you looking I'm, this up I'm for us? I'm gonna look this up. Okay, yeah. <laughs> look, up, look up the verse and read it to us. Okay, so Proverbs 21, verse nine. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome woman. No, quarrelsome wife, I'm sorry. Right, okay. The wife was the one thing on the roof here, so she twisted this around a bit, in which she was both the quarrelsome woman and the one thing on the corner of her roof. So whenever she was just quarrelsome with her husband, she'd just go sit on the rooftop, basically. For the month of October, whenever she was quarrelsome with her husband, <laughs> she would sit on her roof. What did the neighbors think? She, she wrote about that, and That's I forget all the details of how they responded, but during this month, her neighbors saw a lot. I can um, imagine. For each month, she would take another biblical virtue or practice. So for the month of November, she did not sit on her roof when she was contentious, but her to-do list for that month was cook through Martha Stewart's cooking school, Proverbs 31.15, Titus 2.5. Clean through Martha Stewart's homemaking handbook, Titus 2.5. Host a dinner party, 1 Peter 4.9, Hebrews 13.2. Host Thanksgiving dinner, 1 Peter Four, nine. So according to her being a biblical woman, she thought she should be hospitable and be a good homemaker. And so she was very deliberate about hosting people in her home, about learning how to cook. She didn't do that much before trying out her biblical woman year and learning to clean. And so some of these things were new for her. So it was very stretching. But for the sake of being biblical and her biblical experiment, she did things that pushed her out of her comfort zone. Throughout the book, she includes interviews with different people. Um, 
that she sees as in some ways being biblical in a way she's not. So for the month of March, she emphasized modesty. And who better to learn from about modesty than the Amish? So she went to <laughs> Lancaster, Pennsylvania and learned from the Amish about modesty. So her to-do list for this month was dress modestly, 1 Timothy 2.9. Wear a head covering, 1 Corinthians 11.6. Wear only dresses and skirts, no slacks or jeans, Deuteronomy 22.5. Abstain from wearing jewelry, 1 Timothy 2.9. Hang out with the Amish. And she doesn't have a proof text for that practice. Wow. So, yeah, each chapter each chapter is a different month. And she writes it as a memoir, so she tells about what she did that month, how she managed to learn to be biblical according to her definition, and how being biblical in that particular way went. So it's a fascinating read. Um, it includes theology, but it's light on that, and it includes story, and it's quite heavy on that, which keeps it... Interesting. Um, she writes beautifully. What is something you actually learned from this? I, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating idea, but wow. So what I, what I learned and why I care. So I am a Mennonite, and Mennonites are known for some biblically-based practices that much of America's other evangelicalism and Christian denominations don't practice. And an example of that is the head covering, like Rachel Held Evans experimented with throughout her year of biblical womanhood. So, of course, I was interested to see what a mainstream Christian audience in America would be reading from Thomas Nelson about head covering wearing, because that's something um, that as a Mennonite I have to think about myself. Um, so that's why I was interested. What I learned was that layers of hermeneutics is important. Um, so we might say a literal reading of 1 Corinthians 11 is that women should wear head coverings when praying or prophesying. And so she practiced that. But also within her literal application of biblical womanhood she would sit on her roof and she would do some other very strange behaviors that um the kind of literalism that i am familiar with doesn't practice it reminds me that no expression of christianity that i'm familiar with applies the the bible literally it also reminds me that we should not um, apply the bible literally without some sort of exegetical or hermeneutic system discernment maybe definitely discernment or at least some sort of prioritization of the new testament over the old she applied them both the same and with equal vigor and literalness wow that would have been that would be challenging to do like really really challenging did i mean where did she find all the texts and stuff i guess just read through the bible and write them all down or something I don't know exactly how she decided what to apply and what not to, but she's a Christian. She went to Bryan College, which is in Dayton, Tennessee, about 45 minutes from where I live. Um, so she was she was well-versed in the Bible. She wasn't naive about what it has to say. Wow. She gathered some text as a proof text, and she applied them literally. Yeah, so who would I recommend this book to? Um, like I said in the last podcast, 
not somebody that's too gullible. Definitely use discernment when reading this book. But if you're looking for a book that will illustrate um, several possible ways of applying the Bible literally, um, this book might be for you. And you'll probably be entertained in the process. That's what I have been reading. Regan, what have you been reading? Yeah, so I'm going to change the mood a little bit and go more old classic. Um, I don't read a lot of fiction, actually. But one that, and I, actually, I think I have notes on this, how many times I've read this book. Um, a couple of times. It's pretty rich. C.S. Lewis, classic, of course. But one he's not well known for is his novel, Paralandra. So he wrote a space trilogy, he called it the Space Trilogy or something to that effect. It didn't have an official name. Um, and it basically the hero goes to other planets and he's using that form to, to just explore all kinds of fascinating ideas. Like, what would it be like if such and such? And so he would put you on another planet so that you're completely outside of the realm of you know, the normal world as we know it. Um, so the first one in the Space Trilogy is about Mars. And he wrote that one back in the 30s. And he took a bit of a break. And this one came out in 1943. And it takes place on the planet Venus as we know it. But he's basically using that as a springboard to explore all kinds of fascinating things. Oh my goodness. It is... It, you have to read it slowly because it's pretty thick sometimes in C.S. Lewis. Um, but it reads really well. It's uh, very rich. He basically takes the concept of what would have happened if Adam and Eve had not given in to temptation in the Garden of Eden and instead not listened to the serpent and all of that. What would have happened? And uh, that, that opens up a whole interesting dialogue on good and evil and, you know, the conflict between the two and how all this stuff works. And so in this particular book, the planet Venus has not fallen. It is a perfect, sinless world. And the hero shows up when an uh, external force and a bad person is there trying to tempt the local and there's only one there's only two people on the planet so he's, he's trying to tempt these people to um give in and you know uh like do i forget there there's there's like certain commands that they're not supposed to do on this on this planet and so he's there to try to pre prevent that from happening um yeah it's just really interesting like how how does all this work like what would have it actually looked like what would have actually happened if, if adam and eve had not fallen so in the end and i don't want to give away everything um because you should read it for yourself um but basically the fall is prevented and then it goes into wow like what could have been it basically is a utopia um at that point where god's will is perfected and this is basically paradise now um and it's it's it just really makes you think about how good god actually is and how messed up humans have become um yeah it really makes you think and and there's there's some things in here i mean i definitely wouldn't agree with everything I mean, it's a novel so don't you know don't take it literally necessarily but it, it just really makes you think about um how evil manifests itself and what the effects are um, and what could have been and how good God actually is um, and how Satan tries to twist that. Um, 
it's a little bit of a thick read sometimes. So keep that in mind. But yeah, if you're willing to not take it too literally and if you're into novels and you like C.S. Lewis and his style, um, I would say give it a try. Yes, I have read it once, but you're reminding me why I need to read it again and read it more deeply this time. But I'm curious, so he sets this situation on Venus. Why there in particular, and is there an alternative human civilization there that he is imagining, or how does that planet work and compare to ours? Yeah, it, it basically, he he wanted to explore these concepts without like creating a whole brand new universe or something, but he couldn't do it on Earth because Earth is fallen. So he goes to Venus, and what's there is a completely different ecosystem of plant life and even the way that the planet is set up is, is totally different. It's, I mean, it's not fallen for one thing, but it's, so he's, he creates a whole brand new world, almost like what would the garden of Eden actually been like basically. Um, so the two quote humans that are there aren't quite, they wouldn't, he, and he explains it. I mean, it's pretty complicated, but he goes into like, they wouldn't be exactly like humans. They would be something that was created just for that world. So, I mean, all this is being packaged in kind of a sci-fi type fantasy style just to give it a little more zing with popular audiences, if you know what I mean. Because, I mean, who's going to, you know, who would read it otherwise? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and, and it, yeah, and it, yeah. So is there a need for Jesus in his um, vision of how the world would be without the fall? So that's where it gets really interesting because the hero, co-hero, who shows up, his name is Dr. Ransom. He's from Earth. He gets sent there by the by angels, but I mean, they're called something different in the book because it's a novel and all that. But they, he gets sent there to help prevent this from, from falling. And in the end, this evil creature who's trying to tempt them to fall, he actually basically fights him to the death, fights this evil creature and, and kills it um, and thereby helps subvert the fall from ever happening. So the way he packages Dr. Ransom's character has very strong connotations of Jesus, but yet at the same time, he is still human, like from Earth. Um, I'm not really sure what to do with that part because it's like it's, it's like the, quote, Venus edition of Jesus, but not because in, in he's obviously saves them from the fall, but he's not, I mean, he's not like, like Jesus was on Earth, which was god incarnate it's not that um, and he's pretty clear about that if you read it just just like keep that in mind it, it will stretch you um it really will but stretching is a good thing absolutely i think it's thick at times i love this okay well reagan thank you for um talking with us about the book could you one more time name the book? Yeah, sure. It's called Paralandra. Just all one word. Paralandra by C.S. Lewis. You can just Google C.S. Lewis. I'm sure you'll find it. Okay. And the book that I talked about was A Year of Biblical Womanhood by Rachel Held Evans. Those two books couldn't have been more in contrast, I don't think. They were very different. <laughs> we're giving, we're giving um, our audience a diverse perspective on literature. <laughs> Well, that is the goal. Uh, thanks, y'all, for listening. This has been a fun one. And as always, let us know what you think. Um, you can always find us on Twitter or, I don't know, somewhere on social media or something. But uh, if you're interested, we'll keep making these. So. <laughs>